You know, all of our lives, if we, if we look closely, they're marked by moments. And, and these defining moments we're talking about over the last few weeks are always moments that are memorable and that actually are meaningful. And, and that's what we're participating in today. I've been reading a book recently. It's not even a religious book, but it's called The Power of Moments. And these are the four factors that make for what the author calls an epic moment. First of all, it's elevation. It's not just every day. It's not every day you graduate from high school. It's a special day. It's a moment of pride. It captures you at your best. We celebrate your achievements. It's a moment of insight. In this transition, you see things differently than before. And then it's a moment of connection. These moments are really had when you share them with other people. That's why last year, as hard as everybody worked to try to make graduation significant, it was so challenging because we couldn't do it together. And so today, together, we celebrate our seniors. And what I'd like to do today is to share what I believe is an epic story in Scripture that has every one of these four characteristics that hopefully will give us some insight as we move past this point. In fact, this story is so awesome. The last line of the story is, we have never seen anything like this before. So turn with me to Mark chapter 2, and let's go through this story. Mark's an incredible gospel. If if you know Mark, though, you know the climax is not till chapter 9. And that's when Jesus finally is revealed as the Messiah. But it's in stories like this where Jesus' identity is starting to be made known. And it's going to bother some people. Let's go to Mark chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. My friends, in Jesus' day, Jesus was the best show in town. It was great preaching, you might see some incredible miracles, and you might see Jesus getting a fight with the religious folks. And so people were packing in to hear him. And then we see in verse 3, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by the four of them. Here's the person, the focus of this story with Jesus. It's a paralyzed man. Scripture doesn't say here he's been paralyzed by birth. Or when it happened. But we do know now he lives on a three foot by six foot mat. Can you imagine the loneliness? Can you imagine the awkwardness? Can you imagine how scared you might be at moments? And that's this man. The only thing really we see that he has going for him is four amazing friends. And so let's watch these friends. Since they could not get him, that's the paralyzed man, to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowered the mat the man was lying on. You say, that's crazy, man. What's going on here? These four guys love their friend. They've heard these uh, rumors about Jesus, that he could heal him. So they they pick him up, and they're they're carrying him, and they, they get to the house, and they can't get in. Most houses that day had a stairwell on the outside. A stairway. And so they go up the stairs. Can you imagine how careful they've got to be to keep this man balanced? And then they do this radical thing, at least to us. They, they dig through the roof. 
You see, a roof in that day was made of, of wooden beams with dried mud smashed together and often a lawn of grass on top. So they get him up there, they got to get him down. So they got to dig this hole. And they dig, and can you imagine how big it's got to be to successfully lower him on this mat? And he gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Can you imagine if you're Jesus? I mean, as a preacher, you don't like distractions. Guys, this is worse than cell phones, amen? I mean, I mean, all of a sudden, Jesus got dirt. He's, you know, rubbing across his face, you know, trying to get it off. And the hole gets bigger and bigger. We finally got a skylight, my goodness. And can you imagine if you're the owner of the house? You're calling Alpha, right, Jeremy? Yeah, there's a problem here. And Alpha says, no, it's an act of God. It doesn't count. I mean, what a story. But these guys care enough about their friend to dig through a roof to try to get him close enough to Jesus. And then watch what happens when Jesus saw them. Verse 5, he said, when Jesus, pay close attention to this, saw their faith. Now, the paralyzed guy's faith, we'll talk about that in a minute. Their faith, the friend's faith. He said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. You think, Jesus, you're not connecting the dots. This dude didn't come here to have his sins forgiven. He came here to walk. Well, Jesus understands for all of us, not always directly, there's a connection between sin and the fall and the messed up world and bodies that we have. So Jesus goes right to the root of the problem and says, your sins are forgiven. Now watch this. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, pay close attention to the next three words, I love these, thinking to themselves. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Understand, they're not saying it out loud. They're just thinking it. And their logic is airtight. Jesus claims to be able to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus is claiming to be God. Their logic is airtight. The only problem is it doesn't lead them to Jesus. And this, to me, is one of the funniest lines in all the Scripture. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. Can you imagine? And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Can you imagine, you know, this is not the only place in the Gospels this happens. You're hanging out there, and Jesus can read your thoughts. How do you feel about that? I don't know about you, but i got a lot of stuff that goes through this brain. And it's not always really good, right? And can you imagine if Jesus all of a sudden, you know, said, Dylan, why are you thinking about that? In the middle of church, why are you thinking about that? You start telling yourself, stop thinking, don't think, don't think, he's going to get you, he's going to nail you. And he did. He knows what they're thinking. And so look what happens. Jesus says, which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. What's easier? Well, my first answer would be, both of those things are easy to say. They're just hard to do. My traditional answer has been, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven than take up your mat and walk because you can see one and you can't see the other. But the more I've studied this this week, I, I think my answer may be wrong. It's probably more difficult for Jesus to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because Jesus knows the price he's going to have to pay for this to have. 
So Jesus asked this question. And then he says this. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Can you imagine that scene? This guy who comes paralyzed walks out carrying his mat. And these five friends are dancing in the streets with the glory of Jesus all over their face. It's an incredible moment. Now here's what I'd like us to do this morning. I want us to gain two insights from this story, and then I'm going to give you, everybody here, a very specific challenge. First of all, insight number one. Only Jesus can meet your greatest need. You see, this man came to Jesus with a felt need. He wants more than anything to walk. And you'd actually think that's his greatest need, but it's not. His greatest need is that he needs forgiveness. And guys, all of us have felt needs in our life. And, and, and Jesus is not opposed to that. In fact, Jesus normally meets people at their felt need and carries them to their greatest need. The woman at the well, she wanted you know, some water. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you living water. The woman caught in adultery. She just wants to get away. And Jesus cleanses her. The feed in the 5,000, they just want some bread. Jesus says, I can be the bread of life. That story that Wes shared with you last week so effectively about Nicodemus. He just wants some answers to his religious questions. And Jesus says, I got something better than that. You can actually be born again. And for this paralyzed guy, Jesus says, I've got something you really, really need. Because here's the problem, guys. Sometimes what I feel like I need will never, well, not, not sometimes. Let me correct myself. What you feel like you need, unless it's salvation in Jesus, will never meet your inside hunger. Sometimes we think, you know, if I could only get this new house, if I could only get married, if I could only have children... There's a great number in our group saying tonight, if my children would just finally leave home. I mean, if, if this, if this were, if I got that raise, if I got that promotion, if I got that job, or maybe it's some negative, you know, if I could overcome this addiction, if I could get my finances straight, if I could stop struggling with anxiety and depression, if that happened, then I'm going to be great. And you will be. For a little bit. But in the long run, you'll still have that empty void in your life. I like what Tim Keller said about this. Make anything but Jesus your Savior. And when you get it, you'll, be, you'll ultimately feel more empty. So, what I want to talk to you today about, what do you really need? But all of us need, because all of us are sinners. Burdened by guilt and the mess of life, and we need forgiveness. That's insight number one. Insight number two. In many ways, if not most ways, in many ways, your friends will determine how close you get to Jesus. You see that one? This man, this paralyzed man, would have never gotten there on his own. He had these four killer friends, though. They cared enough about him to jump through every hoop to get him to Jesus. 
And I want to say to our seniors and to all of us, as you're going through this transition, whether you're going to a job or going off to college, who you pick at your friends is so incredibly significant. In fact, I saw this Mexican proverb this week that says it so plainly. Tell me your friends, and I'll tell you who you are. Say that out loud with me, everybody. Tell me your friends, and I'll tell you who you are. It's that significant. Uh, Another writer puts it this way. Tell me the five people you spend the most time with, and you are going to be the average of those five people. You, You high school guys, you know that. And what a great group we've had up here. If you right now in your mind can think of your five people you hang out with the most, your five friends, I'll guarantee you, they've determined a lot about your high school life. And as you're making this transition, the people you choose when you get to that campus, when you get to that job, are going to have a lot of who you are. We all know this practically. I mean, if, if your friends use bad language all the time and you hang out with them, no matter how much you may not want to, it's going to come out. But if you hang out with good people who actually have good language, it's going to be a lot easier. And even deeper than that, if you hang out with people who don't love the Lord and they're not spiritually minded, they're just worldly minded, and you just hang out with them the majority of your time, you will become like them. But if you make the choice to be around spiritually minded people who love Jesus, you'll become like them. So here's what Satan does. Satan wants to put as many obstacles as he can between you and Jesus, okay? He wants to build a barrier. And most of the time, let me just be honest with you, that barrier is people. I mean, think about our story just for a second. What would you have expected to happen when these four guys carrying their paralyzed friend get to this door I'd expected someone to say, hey, guys, look at this. Something big time's going on here. Could we scoot out of the way? Could some of you go to the wall? Could some of you step outside so this, this guy could? They just stand there. They stand between this man and Jesus. Are they bad people? I don't think so. Are they selfish people? They just want Jesus to? Yeah. Because here's what I'm going to tell you, guys. The crowd, if you go with the crowd, they are always going to keep you away from Jesus. If you go to that college campus and you're not intentional and you just go out there, you know, with with no game plan of how you're going to make friends and where you're going to make friends and how you're going to hang out, I'm I'm telling you, Satan's going to put a crowd in your life who doesn't care about Jesus. And everything your mom and dad have taught you and everything this church has tried to teach you could be lost in that moment. So Satan's going to put those people in your life. And guys, you know, we're not just talking to, um, to these seniors. We're talking to all of us. You tell me who your friends are, I'll tell you who you are. That'll determine a whole lot of it. So there's the two insights. Here's the challenge of the story. You need to seek out great friends. You need to seek out spiritual friends. Because let's, let's just be really, really, really honest here. It doesn't happen by accident, Okay? I think what I want to believe is I'm just a good guy, and I just sort of float around. I don't outwardly do a lot of bad stuff. I'm just going to sort of drift into great friendships. Love the Bible class on Hebrews this morning. You drift into bad things. You're intentional about good things. 
And, and for you and I, you're not just going to stumble into it. Satan will make sure of that. You've got to seek them out. Now, let me tell you the kind of friends you need to seek out according to the story. Because these four guys are super friends. First of all, you need to find people that are friends that are committed. You know, what we're talking about here is you've got to find some people that you can trust. But let's be honest. Everybody in this room has been hurt by some friend. Or someone you thought was your friend who ended up not being your friend. And that's why a lot of us, if we're honest today, may not have many friends. Because I've been hurt, and I don't want to be hurt again, and you know, I'm not putting myself out there again. And I'm not telling you, please understand me, I'm not telling you to go up to anybody and try to make best friendships. I'm telling you, find someone like these four guys who are committed to this friendship, who you can trust. You think about the facts in this story. This guy's paralyzed. Easy excuse to go, you know, we know it would be cool if this guy ran to Jesus, but this is going to be a hassle. The door is full. Sorry, man. We love you, but we tried. Couldn't get in. You want to embarrass yourself digging through a roof? You're kidding me. How about if Jesus gets mad here? We don't know what he's going to do. Oh, no, no, no. We love our friend. We're going to do everything we can to crash this party, to crash this roof, so that my friend can get to Jesus. Listen to me, guys, and this is what we don't want to face. Friendship takes effort and work. It does. Lots of us want to have great friends, but we're not willing. And let me say, first of all, it cannot happen without a gob of time. You've got to have time. Relationships are not built in a hurry. You've got to have time, and you've got to be willing to make effort like these guys. I like what a friend told me the other day. There are three categories of people. Makes sense to me. There are people that are for you. There are people that are against you, and there are people that are just for themselves. Now, the truth is, I don't think most of us have many people that are just out to get us. Some of us live paranoid. Some of us, you know, act like everybody, every room I walk into, someone did me wrong. Guys, listen to me. They're not doing you wrong. They're not, not trying to talk to you. The truth is, they don't care about you. They're not thinking about you. I, I think you could probably safely bullet town. There are some people that are absolutely for you, and there are some people who are just for themselves. It's all about them and what they want to do and how they want to spend time, and you can't really count on them. They don't show up. and you. What, what you need are people that are for you. You ever had a friend just, that friend is just 100% for you. They're more concerned about your achievement than their own achievement. They're more concerned about your problems than their own problems. So look for those kind of friends because there you can have some trust. Now, the next point is the one we stumble on. You need to seek out friends who share struggles. The admission price of deep friendship is vulnerability. Do you hear that? The admission price to deep friendship is a vulnerability. You cannot be friends, deep friends, if you don't share what's going on inside. If you don't share your dreams and your fears and your strengths and your weaknesses, your up days and your down days. Because this man on the mat, you talking about vulnerable? 
I mean, he could have easily said, God, no way. I'm not going to be embarrassed. You can trape me through town on this mat. You, you guys are thinking about dropping me through this hole? I mean, this might not work out so good. But this is what real friendship is. Real friendship is, okay, I find somebody I think I can trust. And I just tell them a little bit about myself that they wouldn't know on the surface. And then they tell me a little bit about themselves, and they're trustworthy. And then, so I go a little bit deeper and a little bit more open. And then they go a little bit open. And finally, a great friend is someone who knows everything about you and still loves you. So you got to be willing to be vulnerable. Let me, let me, let me point this out, guys. For so many of us, this is so hard. Especially men. I love that old book called Bowling Alone that said most men in America have a hard time finding six pallbearers, much less two good friends. And men, we've been taught to be independent and to not share problems and to stand on our own. And then let me say this. If you look like you got your act together, people will assume you got your act together. I might look out here and I see some great looking people. Thank goodness the lights are down. I mean, I see some, some, <laughs> I see some great looking people. You're sharp. Most of you are dressed nicely, you know. I mean, I have no reason to think you've got problems, except that I know everybody's got problems. But when you walk through life looking like you've got it together, the rest of us make this terrible assumption that you do. And the only way you're going to have a friendship is to let them know you don't. And that's the problem with most churches. It's just fake. In fact, for many churches, church is the most fake place on the earth. Because i got to look like i got it together, you're going to think I'm lost. If there's anything I love about this church is I don't think you have to do that. So, look for a friend that's committed. Look for a friend who shares struggles. And then find friends whose faith sustain you. That, to me, is one of the coolest things about this story, because I've heard so many people say, God cannot do a miracle in your life if you don't have enough faith. Oh, God didn't heal you. He didn't answer that prayer. The problem is in you, man. You didn't have enough faith for it to happen. That's not Jesus' belief. This guy didn't have faith on his own. Jesus saw their faith, and he healed this man. And, guys, there are days where you got a lot of faith, and there are days you don't. And what you need is someone that you can lean on on the days that you're going to have to have their faith to sustain you. I love the movie Forrest Gump. And I love that part of the movie when Gump's in Vietnam and he's sitting, leaning back to back with his best friend Bubba. And Bubba says to Forrest, Hey Forrest, you just lean on me and I'll lean on you, and we don't have to sleep with our heads in the mud. Guys, who do you have that you lean on when your faith's not strong, so your head's not in the mud? We saw the most powerful example of this a few weeks ago in the men's breakfast, where we honored Bill Page. And um, wow, he was so powerful. The most powerful part to me, though, was Bill Page. And, and he's talking about the start of this church and the faith they had to launch out on. And even at the beginning of my interview with him, he, he asked we bring a chair up beside him 
to represent his best friend, Tommy Weldon. Because the story of Bill Page and the story of this church is not about one person, it's about people. And he had a friend, and I thought, man, for that generation to have a friend that close and that spiritual, maybe for all of our generations for that matter, that is spectacular. And it was so powerful to see him. He couldn't talk about what had happened in his life without giving credit to his best friend. And after that, Trey Hayes was hosting it for the men. He got up and asked us at our tables, who's your Tommy? Just a second, Tim Lee, not Bill. Who's, <laughs> if you were there, you get that. Who is your Tommy? And I sat at a table, great table. And most people on that table didn't have a Tommy. And I've heard from other men, there were tables that they struggled to answer that question. And guys, this is what I want you to know. You're not supposed to have to live life without that person. So you need to find a friend whose faith will sustain you. And then the last point here, you need to find a friend who will take you to Jesus. Here's the point. They couldn't heal him, but... They believed if they could get their paralyzed friend in the presence of Jesus, he could heal him. So when you're in trouble, when you're down, where do your friends take you? To a bar to drink it off? Just forget about it and do stuff with your body you shouldn't do? Go find some drugs that make you forget it? Or do your friends say, you know what, there's a problem going on here, and I know you're not doing real good right now, and and where we really need to go is we need to go to Jesus. Here's what I'm asking you today. Really, this is a moment of great self-reflection. Do you have a friend who loves you enough to take you to Jesus? And I'm not saying that to put any of us on a guilt trip. I'm saying that to say, man, think about the possibility to have this kind of friend. I'll give you a quick rule of thumb on how you can figure it out. Do you have a friend close enough, who loves you enough to take you to Jesus when you've got a problem? Here's the way you'll find out. When you share your problem, do they pray? Do they immediately say, hey, man, buddy, you know I can't handle this. No way I can. I don't know exactly what to do. I'll love you, man. I'll listen to you. But here, here's what we got to do because only, only Jesus can really heal you. And I, I know I'm stretching some of you because that's uncomfortable for you. But I'm telling you, if I could give you one piece of advice to start building close friendships, here's what it would be. Pray with a brother. Pray with a sister. Because that's when your hearts are open, and that's when you really help each other. So here's the point. Are you seeking these kind of friends? Here might be the starting point is, are you being this kind of friend? You see, what most of us do is we want to sit back and hope someone just makes it happen. No, no, no. You've got to be this kind of person to have this kind of person. And that's a stretch. But God will bless you. So I want to to interview right now a couple of our high school seniors who I think have experienced this. And you're just going to love this. So, Elabeth Kirkland and Jake Bailey, would you guys come up? And let's, um, let's talk a little bit.
We're blessed to have so many great teenagers, and I get to talk to two of them. Ella Beth is graduating from Lamp High School, and she's going to Troy University. Jake is graduating from ACA and is going to the University of Alabama. No, Mr. Buddy, what I'll tell you about cussing in church. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jake. Jake, you're going, where are you going? Uh, I Auburn, can't say it. Auburn University. Auburn, okay, good, yes. good, good, good for you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> sorry about that, man. First service when I said that, it's like, he gave me a look like I've not had a long time. <laughs> like, you preacher jerk. Okay, I, I got you. <laughs> Okay, guys, this is what I'd like y'all to answer, first of all, and we'll just start, Elizabeth, with you. How has this church, community, youth group helped you grow spiritually? It's just been such a blessing to me over the past, I guess, six years that I've been a part of the youth group. But one of the main things that comes to mind is just the the support system that I have here. Um, And I know that no matter what I'm feeling or no matter what's going on in my life, I have multiple people that I can call or I can text, and they will be on their knees before the Father on my behalf. And that's such an encouragement to me. You just made the point. They pray for you. Jake, how about you? How does it impress you? So, as Dan mentions to us that Landmark is a family, and I'm just going to go off that, that say that Landmark is. It's been my family since I was born, and uh, ever since I was younger, I was blessed to have people like Uncle Al and Al Crosby pour into my life, and they're just amazing people to turn me into the Christian man I am today, but even yet, like Ella Beth said, that, like, I have so many friends just outside of just my normal life here, right here in this church, that would just do anything for me if I'm struggling, and that's just, that's just what Christ is about. And I think that's really what the church is about. I mean, obviously, if we're going to honor the people who've had the greatest influence, it'll be your mom and dad, Mm -hmm. okay? But... We all want to stack the stands with more people. And, and you've just mentioned that, the people, adults in this church. Jake, who's maybe a, a friend or two in this church that's um, carried you to Jesus? So within the youth group, I have people like Dylan Swindle and JT Moore that, you know, they always are there for me. But even uh, I was blessed uh, the past two summers to have an intern, uh, Devin Gillum, who has poured in my life significantly. And um, he would sit down with me, you know, once or twice a week, and he would dive into the scripture and ask me how my life is. Um, And it wasn't always perfect, but if I was here, he would take me from here to here uh, through scripture. And it just really impacted my life. Amen. Thanks for sharing. Elabeth, how about you? Who are the the friends who've had a great impact in carrying you to Jesus? Um, I think of one of my best friends, Lauren Brady, who grew up in this church and She was a senior in high school when I was a freshman, and she was really the first person that I was able to look at her life and say, this girl is in love with Jesus. Um, She's just after his heart. And being able to witness her worshiping and praying and, and talking about what the Lord was doing in her life was such a blessing to me and something that really inspired me to pursue my own relationship with him. Oh, that's... I love that idea of someone older in the youth group reaching out to someone younger. That makes a big difference. Uh, here's my final question for you. What has Jesus done for you that your friends could never do for you? Jake? All right, so you mentioned it in the lesson, and I thought about it for a long time, and it really hit me. You said that only Jesus can meet your greatest needs, and how true that is because my friends couldn't. My, my, my big needs up here, there's not a chance my friends can do that. And um, also think about a song by Elevation Worship called Do It Again, and it, it says, I've seen you move, you move the mountains, and I believe that I will see you do it again. And I just think of Jesus in that, that in my life, I've seen him move big mountains that my friends could not, and I do believe that I will see him move them again. So, Amen, brother. Thank you. Elabeth, what, what's Jesus done for you? 
He's the only one that can save me. And like you said, I've had so many great people from my family and in the youth group and in this church that appointed me to him, but ultimately he's the only one that can give me freedom from my sin. Amen. You know, guys, isn't it pretty amazing just to sit here and talk to two high school seniors who talk like this? I wish I had when I was your age. Give them a hand, all right? We're so proud of you guys. Uh, Jake, we've come to a point, guys, in our service now. I think the perfect point after that question is to take communion together. And I want you to think of the same question I posed to them. What has Jesus done for you that nobody else on this earth could? And praise him. Jake, will you pray for us? Yeah, let's pray. Dear God, uh, thank you that we could all come here today and that we can celebrate graduating seniors, Lord. And I pray that right now that we all are... Connecting with you one-on-one, Lord, and we all to just realize the impact that you've had in our lives, Lord. And um, I pray that you give us peace during this time, that we can realize that the bread, little piece of bread, represents you, Lord, and how, how significant that is, Lord. And uh, little grape juice represents your blood, Lord. And I pray right now we're able to connect with that. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Come to the point where you've got an opportunity to respond. You see some cards there in, in front of you. They're what we traditionally call response cards. And if today we're, we're going to bring the basket over here while we sing in just a moment. If you need us to pray for you, because here's, here's the quotation, here's the proverb. Tell me who your friends are, and I'll tell you who you are. If today you hear that and you go, I don't have that kind of friend right now. I've not been that kind of friend. I doubt many of us have people that are just trying to stay in our way. I guarantee in this crowd, there's a lot of you that have great friends in Jesus. But there's some of us, we'd probably have to say, don't have it. We had a wonderful lady walk forward first service. I really don't have any close friends, mostly just casual friends or coworkers. None of them are strong Christians who keep me accountable. I would pull a roof apart for me. I tend to always be the good influence, and it's draining. I yearn for friendship and have Christian companionship outside of my family. What a confession. What a request. And today, maybe that needs to be your request. You, you may have come here today, and you know, you've got these felt needs. I mean, you are lonely, and you need friends. Or you're depressed, and you're struggling. Or you just came here today because your seniors are being honored. Or you came here just because you expect to go to church and you got some boxes to check off. Just the right thing to do. Or a friend pressured you to come. I don't know what the reason is. But, but what, what God would want us to do is to create an environment here where you could make friends that point you to your greatest need, Jesus. That's why we make such a big deal here about small groups. That's why we're so excited about women's ministry and men's ministry. For you to have a chance to meet those people that can play that role. Because the biggest need you have this morning and that I have is Jesus. We're all burdened by the guilt. We all know we're inadequate. And this morning, my goodness, if you need us to pray for you before we get out of here. If you're ready to be baptized And have all of your sins washed away. Just come. 
You're ready to rededicate your life, to be a part of a family where you can have friends that take you to Jesus. Because here's what all of us would want to hear before we walk out of this room. The same thing this paralyzed man heard. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. You can have that today. Why don't you come right now while we cry out our need for Jesus. Let's stand together and sing.